Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle, delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires. And our campfire this week takes us back to the DSC office with Mr. Brian Feenhold. Brian's been on the podcast with me in the past, and we talked about a lot of different things, and we'll get around to some of the things happening with DSC and the DSC Foundation, maybe kind of toward the end of this. But last time we visited, we talked about uh, Spain, and you were going to tell me about how Spain was when you returned, and obviously you're back. <laughs> and I'm back. You know, I, I could have stayed longer. Absolutely. But, well, thanks for having me on again, Larry. It's what always great to, to chat with you. And uh our, our paths cross quite often these days, it seems like, and that's always a plus for me. A I bonus love every moment of it. So, well, Spain was good. It's you've been to Spain uh, several times, I think, and it's it's often uh, a great place to go and a great time. Wonderful people and the culture is incredible, and their hunting's not too bad either. Their hunting is absolutely fantastic. I, 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 it's one of my destinations that I can't wait. To, really get back there regardless of what the species is. that's right that's right well well i had the opportunity to go on a, on this hunt was for a great ibex which was my my first attempt at ibex and then also something that's near and dear to your heart roe deer and, oh my gosh. and i'm happy to say i had a great experience and, and really a wonderful hunt for both 
Tell me a little bit about the Grados. That's the one I've not shot it or the Ronda at this point. Okay. So those are two that I've still got to return for. And I've always found it's good to leave at least one animal that you either uh, need to go back for that you haven't hunted or one that you just really got to go back to hunt a second time. <laughs> gives you a convenient excuse to go back, right? Amen. And there's a method to our madness. So, well, maybe maybe we'll go back and get our Rondas the next time. I would so, love that. That'd be great. So, well, the the Grados Ibex hunt for me was was uh, my first experience at that type of hunting for for Ibex anyway. You know, it's typically higher mountain hunting, um, very you know generally some rugged terrain. I got to admit though, I, I kind of lucked out. We were uh, we got into a, a big group of Grados early on in the hunt, and we were trying to position four of those you know like you might do and uh and uh, there was oh probably 20 to 25 it was a big bachelor group and there was all kinds of sizes and shapes and ages and and uh you know just trying to navigate keep the wind in mind and navigate into a good position and all of a sudden lo and behold 65 yards to our left another one pops out that's just beautiful and uh and we shifted gears pretty quickly so it, we uh, we picked up uh, we picked up our gear and kind of refocused on this guy that just came out of nowhere. Didn't know he was there, and I, and then he kind of dis he just made a quick cameo appearance. Right. Then he turns around and disappears. And so well we we had the benefit of pretty high winds and a and a, a very rapidly flowing kind of a runoff creek behind us. And so we had a lot of noise to cover our movement because there were the two gamekeepers from. The, the property we were hunting as well as my ph and myself and so we started off heading in the direction we thought this this grados went and uh, we didn't go very far and all of a sudden everybody locks up and so you know what's going on yes sir and then all of a sudden they're chatting with my ph in spanish so i'm not comprehending a whole lot all of a sudden i see my backpack go on this big boulder <laughs> I knew what was going on. I knew I knew what was going on then, Larry. I knew I knew what to do next, and so, sure enough, he hadn't gone far. I get settled in, and they they point in the general direction. You know, you go to on these hunts expecting, you'd love it if you got a two or three hundred yard shot, but sometimes it might be three or four, or oh yes, it can be even further sometimes. And you, you do your best to get in as close as you can, so you can make that good shot on the animal and all that, and do things the right way. And uh, so I'd gone in with all those expectations. This one pops out to our left, 65 yards. We move in. When we when we spot him again, he's at 25 yards, right on us. Oh my goodness! So so I I just couldn't believe it. And so he was right there, and he's milling around feeding. And so I get all situated and wait for him to really present <laughs> me a shot. Finally, he's quartered to me with the with the rifle. And so it's a fine shot for a rifle, not a shot I'd take with my bow, but. For a right. rifle, it was perfect, and I was fortunate and placed a good shot. And I'll be darned if the if the Grados didn't. He basically we basically had a Grados charge on our hands because he came right at us. <laughs> thank goodness it wasn't a buffalo. No, thank goodness it wasn't a buffalo. He, right. He uh, he was pointed generally towards us, and right. I think when it all happened, he just that was the direction he ran, and uh, and ended up just falling seven steps to my left and uh, I told the I told the uh, my pH that I'd cover the track job on this one so. <laughs> yeah my idea of a tracking job is to have an animal fall right down where you you have to drag him just a little bit to get him to a vehicle then if you left your knife laying where he went down you can follow that blood trail back, back to where he, he fell you know kind of that that's a good that, that's kind of tracking there, job, right? there you that's go. good living when you can get it it doesn't as we all know it doesn't happen often no, but, no, I, but no. I certainly 
the the ibex gods were looking down upon me that day because they made it um a very straightforward enjoyable experience a beautiful country and it happened when it happens it always happens quick right absolutely yeah and so and just really fortunate to get a great great uh, specimen oh and goodness. he'll look great when we get him back and just a little celebration out there at the time Spain, in so many ways, is so very interesting. The people are fabulous, mm-hmm. very, very gracious. The food, I'm sure <laughs> you would agree, would, was out of this world good. If you like wines, their wines are mm-hmm. absolutely delicious beyond everything else. But to me, part of the, the uh, I think part of the intrigue, part of the, the charm, is there's history everywhere you look. And that sounds kind of weird saying that but everywhere you look there there are terraces there are older buildings and it's just phenomenal you you really can experience and you just see so much of that history and you know in you know history and and what something that's old in europe is you know not hundreds of years old but thousands of years (laughs) old old, and so it's just you do feel a bit like you're stepping back in time particularly as you get i think out into the more rural areas and so we're certainly able to enjoy a lot of that. And you're right, the wine, the food, the people themselves are wonderful and very welcoming. And it's just, it is a, uh, and then on top of all that, you've got some just incredible hunting. And it's just very hard to leave there when you, when the time comes. It really is. The animals are so beautiful and they're so well, t- very, very well managed. The habitat, to me, I, I enjoy looking at the vegetation and all things dealing with the habitat that where the animals live. And, and I found it to be just uh, just truly remarkable, the jobs that they do there. They're very good about taking out only the older animals or specific animals. So, And it's a very limited harvest when you get right down to it. And, they're very, and they, they, too, they take it very seriously. They're very, very, uh, much. very concerned on managing it, making sure that it's sustainable and can be around for you know, many, you know, forever, right, for future generations to enjoy and, and to hunt, observe, whatever, however someone might want to take that in. But it's a serious business for them and one they take very, uh, very, very personally in how they approach it. They do. I, 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 I can't remember the guy's name right now, but he had been in on something like 500 or so Ibex kills. Mm-hmm. I hate to use the word kills, but literally he, he guided that many people to take in an Ibex. Mm-hmm. And in vision with him, he spoke broken English, and I understand a little bit of Spanish. And he was telling the stories about some of the people that he had taken hunting, and he, he was a probably about my age, so he went back to the days of, during the time frame when guys like Jack O'Connor and, and uh, well, Elgin Gates and a bunch mm-hmm. of that, that area that, that yeah. hunted hunted there with him, and he was telling stories about some of those guys, which to me were was just fascinating just in itself. You were in an area, too, uh, I think, where they do some bullfighting. Back in Madrid, uh, we, we they, they have the main uh, Casa de Toros, I think. Yes, right, I think that's right, right. The main facility, and that's such a rich part of their culture in Spain, and and it's uh, you know it's a, quite a procession, I guess, uh, quite a process each each right. for, a, for a traditional bullfight. I learned so much about that. I that was kind of a bonus on this trip. I, I really hadn't anticipated. Fortunately, time worked out to where we could do that, but I hadn't anticipated that initially. Well, to me, again, that I really enjoy learning as much about the local culture as I can. Everything from the history side of the culture to the hunting side of the culture as well, too. And, and unfortunately, when I was there, we were there at a time frame when none of that was going on. But I had such an absolutely fabulous time. 
You mentioned roe deer. <laughs> I love the ibex. And Absolutely. the ibex are in terrain that's rugged and mm-hmm. tough, mm-hmm. but it's not a killer situation. I mean, even somebody like me, who when I got there, I was not in the best of, uh, shall we say, body condition. <laughs> Hadn't been doing a whole lot of I walking. can relate. <laughs> and to me, those were absolutely great stocks, and the mountains were such that I could easily crawl them, and, and I really enjoyed that part as well, too. But I want to go back to the roe deer. Yeah. Yes. To me, the roe deer is one of those animals that I don't think I could ever hunt enough to get my fill of. You know, you told me a little bit about that ahead of my trip and how much fun they are to hunt and a vastly different terrain. We went to an entirely different part of Spain yes, sir. for those hunts, and uh, and it's really a, I don't know how to, it's a, you know, it's where I went was a kind of a densely populated forest or timber with a lot of tall pines and and some open field areas and whatnot. It was just a vastly, you know, vastly pretty flat, so vastly different than the mountains that that one would hunt the ibex in. But you're you were exactly right when you. I mean, they can. It's an enjoyable hunt, and and what a neat animal, and uh, just. I could see how people could get hooked on doing that. And I can understand. I mean, I've been in some of those European homes, and, you know, there'd be just wall after wall after wall of, of antlers from, from the roe deer. And, of course, they're very, very prolific there uh, all throughout Europe. And But each one of them is kind of like a white-tailed deer. There may be some in terms of antlers that are similar, but there are no two that are alike. That, to me, is one of the fascinating things about that species. They're very unique, for sure, and I was able to, I had good fortune on the hunt, and, you know, the other the other thing I learned is that they're wonderful to eat. Oh, and, they're out of this world delicious. And, uh, you know, for a, maybe a 40 to 50 pound uh, roe deer buck, uh, but wonderful on the table. Uh, you mentioned how they, uh, how they display them in the Euro mounts in many of these homes across Spain, across Europe. And they, they, the way they did it in the area that I was hunting is they have a plaque. They'll put the, the Euro mount on that, and, uh, and then they have a, a bronze plate or something of that nature. They list the initials of the hunter, the location of the hunt, and then the date of the hunt that when the, uh, when the animal was taken. And so uh, I've asked them to do mine in exactly the same way Perfect. in Spanish, just like they do it right, 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 right. there. I, I wouldn't want it any other way, but what a neat uh, neat animal, unique hunt, and I would I would gladly do that again. One of the things I noticed about their deer uh, was the fact that those were a deer there have a tendency to be a little bit grayer yes. by comparison to what I've hunted in, in some of the other European countries. It was interesting as I, when I was there, Larry, and I don't think I'd mentioned this to you before, but they were in the process of transitioning their coat. Oh really? And yeah. So there was some of the really red hair that, we, and then some of the gray, and it was transitioning to the next season that was upon right. them and whatnot. And so it was unique to see that. I'd never seen a an animal, an animal in that phase or whatever, and it was definitely uh, neat to see. But wonderful animal to hunt. Oh, they, they truly are. They're 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 so fascinating. The the I shot two when I was in Spain, and we got there just about just before lunchtime, and the uh, hunting with the. Pedro Alarcon, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he said, let's just go drive around, let's look a little bit before we go to the camp, and let's see if, because we were hunting on the edge, there were all kinds of grain, not grain fields, I say they weren't grain fields, but I couldn't tell what was growing, but it had a little bit of growth, mm-hmm. and there'd be a strip of brush, and then there'd be some of the forest type areas, 
And he, I said, well, do you think we might see anything? He, goes, he said, I don't think so. He says, we, we never really hunt during the middle part of the day. And I said, what, what phase is the moon here? You know, and I, he said, well, it's almost full. And I said, I'll make a prediction. And he goes, what's that? And I said, we're going to see a deer. He said, are you sure? And I said, well, we're not going to know until we go look. Sure enough, we hadn't hardly gotten on the property that we were going to hunt. And we spotted two deer out there in the middle of the field feeding. We backed out, had to totally undo everything because we had everything packed in the back of his vehicle. Guns, of course, were down on the very bottom. Of course. And unload everything, grab the guns out, and then put on a really long stock. And the first one I took, I was still dressed in the same clothes that I was worn on the plane coming there kind of thing. So you, had, you had the wind in the right direction, <laughs> we had, sounds Everything like. worked out perfectly, and it was go. an absolutely beautiful deer. Uh, but Spain is, is one of those destinations that I think anybody that loves the outdoors and appreciates hunting in, in the true sense of the term of where you actually get out and you stalk and you do everything else along those lines. Absolutely great country. And of course, there I think there, I think there are actually five subspecies. There's one subspecies of ibex that they don't hunt because okay. the numbers are relatively low. Mm -hmm. But they're basically the, the four subspecies. And they were very smart in that years ago, they wrote a law that says no live ibex can leave Spain. Okay. So, you know, we have so many different things here in Texas that are exotic species. We don't have those. We though, don't do have it? those. No. Because there's a rule that no live ibex can leave Spain. You can go to Spain for those or you can go to Spain for those. You can go to Spain for those or you can go to Spain for those. <laughs> <laughs> Spain for those. <laughs> Which is really a good, good, smart move. Good on move their on their part. No doubt. It really is. So... Well, let's, let's, let's transition a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the, the DSC Foundation Gala. Mm -hmm. Your opinion, sir. <laughs> what, what an incredible night. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I think you'd agree. <laughs> it was out of this world good. You're right. It was an incredible night. So, so it's the second annual yes, Gala. Sir. Yes, and sir. I was fortunate to come as your guest last year, and uh, and then you put me to work this year, so that's all right. Well, you put yourself to work, but I'll have to, I'll have to tell you there was method in my madness. <laughs> I've been I've wanted you at DSC and DSC Foundation. How in the world am I going to get? We'll invite them to the gala, and maybe we can start making some connections there here. There you go. <laughs> well, that that worked out great, and I'm a, I'm happy about that too. I think you're. I, well, I say I think I know everybody here is happy, but you know that's such a DSC is such a great organization to begin with, but then through the foundation, we kind of serve, not kind of, we serve pretty much as the granting arm of granting to uh, uh, many different projects worldwide. Mm -hmm. yeah, across our three pillars, conservation, education, advocacy, and and it hasn't been fun to watch that grow so much over the past years. From yeah, I mean, You've been involved here from the very early on days of DSC, and then from the very beginning of DSC Foundation, and and for a second annual event, I, I think we'll be hard-pressed to raise the bar, but I know the way we operate around here. I know the way our volunteers and our staff and our boards operate. The bar will get raised again next year, I'm certain. I, I think so, too. Of course, to me, that's one of the really fantastic things about both the DSC and DSC Foundation. I mean, it is a, and I'm, I keep saying, I mean, I do really mean the fact that it is volunteers that really make the organization works such as it does. That is the engine, and then we're blessed too with uh, folks who believe in DSC and support DSC, and that was very evident the night Amen. of the gala. That the night of the gala, there was uh, there were so many moments that were just fascinating to watch, and and you really realize the impact that the dollars raised that night 
and the, and that's what that night's for. It's to drive support for the mission of DSC, and and that mission was definitely accomplished that night. It, it really was. We're fortunate in the fact that we have some of the most unbelievable hunts, including some of the artwork, so many different things that are part of the live auction, but then also part of the, the raffles and also the silent auction that are truly one-of-a-kind items that you really can't get a whole lot of other places. And some of the hunts that we had, yes, they you can go and hunt there, but it may take you 10 or 12 years to get there. <laughs> to figure it out how to do it or get, get, or just get, get, get it scheduled. List, you know? I mean, to just to get it scheduled alone, you're right. Exactly, just to get on the list. And sometimes we've been able to have the great outfitters and PHs that we have to, to donate and kind of give somebody a fast track to, to getting to the place they may want to go or they know they want to go, but otherwise they couldn't get there for a long time. So very fortunate in, in the, the cooperation that we have. And of course, the same thing with the public comes and they're the bidders. Yeah. Our, our bidders are the finest in the world as far as I'm concerned. Well, there's a, I, there are a lot of life members, a lot of, a lot of uh, annual members and a lot of new members that night. And all there to really support an organization that they believe in, and uh, and it wasn't it fun to watch all the auctions throughout the night, and it was it there was a lot of uh, you saw a lot of, of course you know it was really global in terms of the you know the the different hunts from around the world. There was you know there was Europe, there was of course Africa, North America, uh, there was uh, New Zealand, Australia area, and South America. So you know we had you know hunts from around the world, experiences from around the world, many extremely unique extremely hard to to just obtain just through you know scheduling and and just different things and just quite frankly many that were just one of a kind that maybe we worked with one of our good exhibitors and our good partner outfitters to come up with something that just you just can't get every day i agree and to me one of the great things that's happened with dsc and the dsc foundation is now we're under one roof yes uh something that i was thrilled to see happen and one of the reasons I really wanted to be on the board to begin with on the DSC Foundation board is to see that happen and with that being the case with Corey being Corey Mason being both at the leadership level at both those organizations and of course with you doing the same thing I mean to the point where it's you're the what the what developer the uh, director of development, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of other things, I think, yeah, so, which is fine with me. Whatever happens to be worn at the moment yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Well, I, you know, I'm, having been involved for so many years with DSC and the DSC Foundation, I, I, I'm i really excited about the direction the organization is going in. I think you're exactly right. We're blessed to have Corey Mason as CEO of both organizations. And I think he's the he's the absolute right guy for that job. And right guy, right driving guy. alignment between the two groups, driving alignment in terms of what we do and how we do it, driving alignment with how the boards interact, and and everyone on the same page. And that results in us being able to do more with the resources we have. Exactly. Of course, we're always looking for new resources and additional resources. That's by right. the way, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. And if you have a little spare cash in your pocket, get in touch with Brian. I'm sure we can put it to really Please good do. use. By golly. I'm always by my phone. So. I'm always by my phone. <laughs> so no, it, and it takes all that. It takes it does, uh, yes, it, you know, it takes our you know our time. It takes our our skills. It takes our treasures to to make uh, conservation work. It's not a it's not an easy thing for conservation to work, and one person and one group can't do it. And but I'll tell you, we we do our best to um, to get the job done and to ensure sustainable use for the wildlife that we 
cherish and enjoy being around in our lives. And, and there's not a better group out there, in my opinion. We're, we're blessed with some wonderful partners. and uh, We are. And, yes, and, I, uh, and I appreciate each one of those groups. And, and we do some good work with them. And uh, it's a, certainly, certainly a pleasure to be a part of this group and what we do. And, and Absolutely. As you mentioned, we've got some unbelievably great partners, uh, both internationally and of course different organizations here you came from the mule deer foundation most recently and and of course we've granted some things to the mule deer foundation and the wild sheep foundation which gray thornton heads up and of course gray was the executive director here for many years years ago and and but it, it is it is a joint effort in so many different ways and conservation costs. I mean, I wish it were free to where we could do it, for, but it, it costs. And so we're continuing looking for ways, looking for, is, is are you looking for um, possibly our foundations or whatever who are willing to grant to help with the missions that DSC has in terms of conservation? And then, of course, like we mentioned with the gala, uh, anybody is welcome to attend, although we have a limited number that we can put in the building, but now with the internet, uh, we had a fair number, I'd say probably a third of the, the buyers were from the internet on the auction this time, and it may have been higher than that. It, it may have been, and they were certainly, uh, they were active, oh, absolutely. And they were bidding, in many cases they were the buyers, and so, as you mentioned, it, it was, it's to see where that has grown over the last you know, five, six, seven years uh, in terms of auctions and fundraising, and it it, it it helps in so many ways, not the least of which is allowing an auction to start at a reasonable level without having to grind through the lower <laughs> range, which, and so that's nice. But, you know, getting back to the to DSC and the DSC Foundation, our fundraising, there's so many ways folks can get involved. Yes, sir. And, that, and that's what's exciting, too. It's, you know, there's, there's ways to become involved from a financial standpoint with immediate mission accomplishment, through our Ascari program and, and getting involved with making a difference immediately. And and, I, and we've seen so much traction there with our members, and, and that's really the engine that drives our ability to make grants. Uh, but we also have an endowment for folks that like an endowment and want and want to, and that appeals to them and their, their giving principles and how they like to do things. We have the Insure the Legacy program around creating uh, insurance policies that can benefit the DSC mission down the road a ways. Uh, we, you know, just in the last week, I, I spoke to a gentleman, and he donated to our Frontline Foundation. And the Frontline Foundation, for folks that don't know that, does so much to help professionals in the hunting and outdoors business that get hurt, basically in the line of duty. Uh, and you've been around the Frontline Foundation from its inception in, I think, fourteen. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, I, I was. I've been involved in one form or fashion, but mm-hmm. wasn't involved in the initial putting together of that program, but. Uh, what an absolute fantastic! Yeah, I've, I've helped administer. You know, it happened to be in Africa when something bad happened, mm-hmm. or was there shortly afterwards and was able to convey the message and help with the paperwork that needed to be done to support that family. While that PH was in in a bad way for for sometimes for quite a long time. It does so much good, and you know, hunting and what we enjoy doing and hunting dangerous game and hunting in rugged terrain whether it's in Africa or Alaska or anywhere in between, is can be a dangerous activity. Be, yes, and, and you know, folks often will get hurt and, and unfortunately even worse at times. We can lose folks that are that to an to an accident or an injury or something in the in their in their line of duty there. And the front line foundation helps bridge the gap for those families to get somebody better to help with their kids in school, to support, help support the family, help bridge that gap during their greatest time of need. 
in what is oftentimes such a terrible time of loss as well. And so it's, Amen. it's a great program. We had somebody call on that uh, just in the last week, had, had, a, had a couple of folks, a couple of members, life members, call from out of state and uh, they wanted to contribute to the hunter's care program to help help drive anti-poaching efforts around the world and and across africa across the you know around the world and whatnot and so that's exciting to see i I think we're we're seeing individuals uh and organizations that re you know they're getting a better idea of how they can contribute how they can become part of the organization and there's a place for everybody and every every contribution helps and so uh, we're seeing more and more of that. I think the message is becoming more and more clear, and we're becoming more and more clear, I think, delivering it. I think we are, too. I think the word's kind of getting out, and people start to see all the really good things that are coming out of both DSC and, of course, DSC Foundation. And the other thing is, is we're not media hogs. There's there's so much that goes on that DSC has their hand in and is the driving force, and yet a lot of people may not even know about it. You know, it, it, we're not going. We're not beating our chest and saying, "Hey, look at us. We're getting the job done." And to me, that's what's important with think, all this kind of thing. I think everybody here, at, you know, at DSC and DSC Foundation, t- takes it very seriously what we do, yes, and, right. and they and they we want to reflect the voice of the hunter conservationist. Amen. And they're we're you know, DSC is not in it to grab the headlines or to take the credit. They want to represent our lifestyle. They want to represent the hunter conservationist, and we want to make sure that that this lifestyle we cherish can be around for generations. Absolutely. And and if they want to learn more about where where how do they get in touch with you, or how do they get in touch with the organizations? Well, my my email is easy. It's just Brian at BigGame dot org. Uh, our office is open every day during the week, and I'm generally if I'm not off on some adventure, I'm usually here. Uh, and, and so folks can call the office as well. We can give them that. You know, would you like to share that number out here as well? May as well. It's uh, absolutely the, the number here at the DSC offices for anything you might need is 972-980-9800. So it's uh, and that will someone will answer the call. And, and if I'm not available, they'll they'll get me the message. But I would love to hear from folks. Absolutely. And if you forget all that, you can go to B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G. That's or, it. The uh, DSC Foundation is dscf.org, and the numbers are there as well, too. And there's some pretty cool stuff there as well, too, that's kind of shown what DSC has done, what DSCF has done in the past. And we mentioned uh, we're here in July, and this is our July meeting. And part of our July meeting involved looking at grants that have been requested. And, of course, those grants are unbelievably vetted to where we go through them with a fine-tooth comb so that the money that goes out that we do grant goes to individuals, organizations who really do an absolutely fabulous job. And we follow up on it. I mean, we make them prove that, by golly, they did. We know that they're going to, but we make them follow them up with reports and all those kind of things. So you can be assured that if you do contribute to DSC, DSC, uh, DSCF, your money is going to go to the right place. And, and we're trying to become, you know, as transparent as possibly as, as we can possibly be with all of these grants and donations. We have an annual report for the DSC Foundation, which details the grants that were made across conservation education and, and advocacy initiatives. Uh, I'm working on another document that's going to support Ascari and Ascari giving Fantastic. that will that will also show that the, the most common question that I get is how do I know 
if I make a donation to DSC Foundation, how do I know that you know my money is used well? What's and so I always equate it to what's my return on investment? Show me what I if I'm going to give you five hundred dollars or five thousand dollars or more. Tell me how that money will be used, and then I might even ask you to show me show later me. how it was used. <laughs> exactly. And so we want to have documentation and, and clear facts that that describe not only how how it was used, but where it was used and when it was used, and and we're we're trying to drive more and more transparency to that end, whether it's in the annual report, in an Ascari giving document, or anything else we do, just to show you that here is your ROI, Larry, and and your donation made a difference. Absolutely, and they do make a difference. They do make they do. a difference. DSC Foundation is basically a clearinghouse for money that comes in and it goes out again. It doesn't stay doesn't stay very long most of the time. We make sure it's used very effectively. Absolutely, absolutely. And two, we're, since we're talking about some of these kind of things, we're, we're very blessed to have a great chapter system of DSC that is a growing and increasing numbers of chapters across, really across the USA. I, I, I assume in time we'll have some international chapters as well too. But we've got chapters pretty well scattered in throughout much of North America or throughout the USA. And they can go to the website there too. And, and we've got some chapter meetings coming up or chapter banquets coming up. We've had a few already. There's some coming up in August very quickly. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, you can go to the biggame.org as well too. And, and uh, Carson Keys handles those. If you're interested in possibly starting a chapter, you can get in touch with Carson through the website there as well too. Absolutely, and and that is a growing uh, presence for us and a growing impact yes, for DSC and DSC Foundation and some really some very enthusiastic members that that gather and put on wonderful events. You're right. I think there's I think there's three events, Larry, coming up in August. I believe New Mexico, Georgia, and, and Lubbock, Lubbock, Texas. Yes, right. And so there's a great example right there of of a, of a pretty good spread across the country in and of itself. Just in those three, um, I believe. Uh, if folks do go to those, I think oftentimes they might see see you there. And I try to go to as many as I can. I do too. I wanted to go to the one in New Mexico, but we've got another event that I'm have yep. to be at. But we were in Nacogdoches not very not long, too long ago, ago. In San Antonio not very long ago. And I, and, I try and, to sneak uh, out to them when I can. I'll be in Lubbock as uh, will I, yes, sir. with my good friends there, and I look forward to that. Uh, I've got conflicts with some of the others, but I think. We've got it. I think we've got a great supportive network, uh, and just some incredible chapter volunteers that are just doing wonderful things. And they just seem they seem to raise the bar every year they as do. well. And they, they, and they, they absolutely are. do. And one of the reasons I brought up the chapter thing is because we happened to be down on the FTW last week, and we had <laughs> some not well. We had Michael Vernon there, who is the uh, uh, DSC president and uh, Corey Goss who is involved with the I can't remember the, the Heartland chapter the Heartland chapter yep. exactly yep. I, I knew it was in, in Iowa and Nebraska and I've been yep. up there several times with those guys and, yes. and uh, so we had an opportunity to visit with some of those folks and some of our other members from farther out west as well too well I enjoyed uh, Corey was just there for a couple of days yes. and I enjoyed getting to know him better I'd met him several times but hadn't really had a chance to spend a lot of time but he's quite an accomplished hunter but he's even more passionate about what he's doing with the chapter and being a part of that. And he's he's uh, a liaison to the to the board here. Yes, sir. Through the chapters, along with Tim Gafford from the Lubbock chapter, and uh, we've got a great network of folks there. But Corey was, was it was so nice to get to know him, and uh, we we kept we just talked about this hunt or that hunt or this activity or 
this initiative going on and, and how important what we do is to facilitating good conservation around around the globe, quite frankly. And, and he was just a pleasure to chat with and get to know. I think I think we we uh, we shot the breeze until uh, way later than we should have. I'm too old to stay up that late. No, but, no, but I'm, bla- I'm blaming him for it. But uh, so Corey, if you're listening, it's all your fault. But had a great time to get to know him and a few of the you know several other folks. There oh, as well. absolutely! What a great place. Yeah, the Heartland chapter is very much involved with with youth. Yes. In so many different ways. And by the way, envision with with Corey right uh, several days ago. They've got a track chair. Now, this is one of the, the chairs that works off of tracks. It's somebody who is paralyzed, basically, mm-hmm. from the waist on down can can utilize to really get around. And they've got a chair that they're willing to give to probably a, a young person, not necessarily a, a child, not a little child, but somebody that could really use that chair, and particularly if they're interested in the outdoors and uh if, if they'll get in touch, whoever, if you know somebody that, that could benefit from that particular program of having that track chair, it's going to be available. And if you'll get in touch with somebody here at the DSC offices, or you can go to the website again and get the phone number and uh, call in and say, hey, I'd like to get Corey Goss's number. We have got somebody that I think would greatly benefit from the track chair. Please get in touch with us. Yep. Yeah, they that is a, it's interesting. All of our chapters do so much for youth yes. and for hunting and for con- you know, they and they've they just when they when they commit to it they're they're all in and i know Corey and his chapter you know getting youth in the outdoors and uh is something that's near and dear to their heart and and that's the next generation of of leaders and so they do a great job with that amen amen let's get back to the ftw yes. a little bit that is such a fabulous place I, I used to live 62 miles from my house to tim fallon's lodge and unfortunately when i moved now i'm about four or five hours away and that that's the only thing i regret about the move but that is such an absolutely fantastic place to train and to learn i would say tim's pretty lucky that we're four to six hours away yes. respectively <laughs> otherwise we might be there all the time he'd have to run us off yeah i think he was about to that point at one time a few years ago and i was coming up on every other day seemed like well it is an incredible place and and tim employs uh some pretty special individuals that have he served does. this country at very high levels and 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 that know what they're doing when it comes to precision shooting and being ethical and, and responsible in how you shoot and how you hunt and he's just uh, it was my first exposure in terms of attending and being a part of a of a class there at FTW and what what Tim and his team have built there is nothing short of amazing and and I learned so much and uh, I I wish I'd have gone before Spain I, I I had good luck and I and I actually shot well in Spain but you can always do better and and I know how to do better now thanks to to Tim and and Doug and the rest of his team there that just do incredible work. Uh, AJ and Gene and Eric oh. and oh my God, oh my God, the list goes on. Fredo, you know? I mean, it is such a fantastic team, and, and there's so much to be learned. I, I've been up there so many different times, and I've lost count. And every time I've gone up, I've learned something new every time I go. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the facilities are out of this world good. The food's out of this world good. The discussions after the the debriefings in the evening are second to none as far That's as right. I'm concerned. That's right. You know, one of the other well, there were two other people there. Three other people actually. Uh, Mark Little and and his wife Miss Carol and and uh, their son too, James as well too. And the 
they've been there before. Had, you, you'd been there before, too, hadn't you? I'd never been to the ranch. You never, no, oh, this okay. was my I first. Thought, I was a rookie. Right, that's right. You were a rookie on this Yes. One. I know that Mark, I'll be back. <laughs> you can't chase me away, no. right? <laughs> yeah, Mark and Carol were there. And uh, I bring this up for several different reasons, but there's a tremendous number of ladies that go through those trainings there as well, too. And their son is not a, not not a little kid anymore. I mean, he's living on his own through college sure. and all that kind of thing. But there's a great spread, I guess I should say, of people who go to FTW. I've seen very young kids show up there, and I've seen grandparents who are older than I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone seems to have a great time. But the ladies, quite frankly, most of the time I shoot the men when it comes right down to well, it. Well, I wouldn't want to compete with Carol. No, Because no, I, I, no, no, no. <laughs> I was in the same class as Mark and Carol. And Carol, right. Well, they can both shoot, but Carol, I would not want to go against Carol. <laughs> no. she, she's got. A, she's a great shot for sure. And, uh, and talk about two wonderful folks. Oh, my God, they're too, but. fabulous. Of course, they've, Mark was a past president not too long yeah. ago, and they've been Chairs chair of the, the uh, convention and, yep. and just very, very much involved in, in DSC. Sure. And, yeah. and, of course, very helpful with DSC Foundation as well, too. Certainly. But that's an absolutely fantastic place. And if you want to learn more about it, we'll have Tim Fallon's been on the podcast several times. And probably in the next couple of weeks, we'll have Tim back on again, too. But if you want to learn more about the FTW Ranch, you can just go to www.ftwsaam.com. And you can learn all kinds of things. It's a hunting ranch. It's a training ranch. It's also where some of our military elite train as well, too. So. It's about 12,000, 13,000 acres of rifle ranges interspersed with some of the most beautiful country you can ever imagine, kind of on the edge of the hill country, so big, deep canyons. and It's just an unbelievable place. So, And they, and they put you through the rigors, I guess, of, of learning to be a better shot and how to set up on this type of shot or that type of shot or prone or sticks or seated or, you know, whatever the position, you know, multiple different. And when I first knew I was going to the course it was five days and or five nights right. and four full days of shooting yes and I thought what could you possibly what could possibly go on for four <laughs> days and you blink and it's and done it's and you thought gosh you know and and every, there is not a dull moment when you're during daylight <laughs> no, hours no, when you're no. out there and you're learning every time and reinforcing and and just that repetition and and different situations and all of that and you 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 know you realize after that when you do make a bad shot something you screwed something up somewhere whether you tugged on the trigger a little too hard or you didn't have your good base to shoot from but they teach you how to do it and you repeat it enough and you get enough different scenarios that you know I I understand now why people go back more than once and oh, a lot of people go every year absolutely and they put you in very much similar to real-world hunting situations in terms of, okay, the animals are so far, shooting, okay, he's running, he's running, okay, now he's up, or he's coming running close or whatever, and you've got, like, what Tim gives you, they call it the heron scope or whatever. That's right. It gives you, like, 10 seconds, and he's counting out, and, I mean, there's pressure going on, you know, and you're trying to find, you got to find the animal, you got to do this. So, And then, of course, you got to do the dangerous game trail, too. I did, and uh, where you actually have... Uh buffaloes and elephants and they they uh they move around a little on you some might even charge you and, uh, you can't ever tell <laughs> and so now i was shooting a six five creedmoor at those and so i wouldn't recommend that no uh, no but but i'll tell you what as far as going through uh the practice and the routine and what I mean, that's all the same it doesn't matter what you're shooting 
and and that's where I, you know you pick up a lot of your own abilities or areas you need to work on to improve and that's again where more learning goes on i i would um i'll be back and i would uh i would recommend it to anybody in advance of a well any hunt but certainly if you're going to some areas where you might encounter that type of terrain you know you're going on a whether it's a safari to africa or a adventure hunt in the rocky mountains or up in alaska or canada um, you you encounter different situations and they'll have prepared you very well for those absolutely they try to train you to make that first shot count to put that animal down That's as right. quickly and humanely as earthly possible with the first shot That's but right. then they t teach you how to make a second and a third shot if you happen to need to kind of thing yes yeah and to how to follow one, up efficiently absolutely one of the things that you do you do get a chance to shoot long range and we had some friends out from western texas over around midland odessa and they were shooting at of 2,000 yards and beyond their uh, the precision course that they do, of course, and uh, so there's opportunities to do that kind of thing. But the underlying theme, no, it's, it, it is a theme that runs across the top. That it's we're not a long range shooting, we're a no. long range shooting school, that, but we're not a long range hunting school. And so, That's right. with all the skills that they teach you, it's so that when you see that animal at a thousand yards, when you crawl to within a hundred yards of them which they recommend that you can make the shot at that That's distance. Right. Get your, close that gap and get yourself in. If it's not close enough and you can't get steady enough, then get closer. Amen. Uh, well, let's, let's kind of throw some dirt on the fire here. we got a couple other things we got to do. Remind everybody how to get in touch with you personally here at the DSC office. Sure. At the office, 972-980-9800, uh, or just simply brian at biggame.org. And that's B R. I, I, I yes sir yes. b-r-i-a-n -I -I at biggame.org that'll get you right here and the phone's always there as well and uh and i'll i will personally get back to anyone that wants to track me down <laughs> brian thank you so very much for joining us around the campfire always a pleasure larry thank you thanks for joining us around the campfire to leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode go to instagram at larry wysoon outdoors Please join me right here next week for another DSC's DSC's Campfires. Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 